Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by Devin Hassan and David Woolman. It is 2 o'clock on a Wednesday, and gentlemen, we're here to preview some of the marquee matchups in our coverage area for the first round of the high school football playoffs in classes 5A and 6A. And as per usual, middle of the week, that means starting with our reader-voted game of the week. So, uh, again, a big thanks to everybody who went to our website, starlocalmedia.com, to vote on our uh, our five-game poll this week. Um, our uh, our game of the week, we're going to be headed out to Class 6A, Division One. You narrow the scope all the way out to Max Goldsmith Stadium out in Louisville for the site of a bi-district matchup between the Louisville Fighting Farmers and the McKinney-Boyd Broncos. Uh, two teams that have a bit of familiarity with, uh, with one another over the years. This is actually the ninth straight year that these teams will have played. You know, in the, uh, in the past eight meetings, some have been in district play, some non-district, but obviously these two typically find their way onto one another's schedule. Um, this is the first ever playoff meeting between these two schools, though, and a meeting between two teams with very, very different stylistic profiles um, for a chance to advance to the second round. So, um, yeah, McKinney Boyd and Louisville is the game of the week, so uh, let's break it down as we do every week for our, uh, our game of the week. Let's, um, let's, start with, uh, let's start with McKinney Boyd, a team that, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the nice little feel-good stories as far as a team snapping a, a, a fairly lengthy playoff drought by their standards standards this is the first time since 2014 that Boyd is uh, is back in the playoffs and when you look at just the way that their season materialized kind of a you know it's kind of nice just how things have you know have kind of rounded into form for them at just the other uh, perfect time I mean it was a team that really had a had a tough time generating a whole lot of momentum especially on offense to begin the season they started off the year 0 and three they I mean they got shut up by Rockwell Heath 38 to nothing they were able to get that first win in overtime fashion the rare 14 to 7 overtime victory against Trophy Club Byron Nelson in their non-district finale and that was actually kind of the game that began a bit of a uh, kind of the trickle down effect as far as what this Boyd team became especially on offense you know so it was um it was that game against Nelson where their current quarterback Ryan Shackleton who I believe is just a sophomore that was his first start um you know initially he um he was thrust into duty due to an injury to their um their initial starter Carter Whitefield um Carter has since been, uh, you know, kind of dispersed elsewhere within the offense as one of their top skill position players, um, you know, functions as a running back and a wide receiver. You know, obviously, even though he was injured at the time, his athleticism is still such a uh, such a force for that offense that they still found a way to utilize him. And he's been very effective in regard in whatever role he's been used as his um, he has eight total touchdowns um, rushing and receiving. And that's the most of any skill player on the uh, on the uh, on the Broncos. So with them um, with Shackleton getting more and more comfortable by the start start. 
Whitefield having acclimated to his new role, um, the offense has picked it up a little bit, you know, from that, uh, you know, from that difficult start to the season. Um, you know, Boyd's offense, they totaled, not averaged, but totaled just 33 points in non-district play. Um, and they've at least were able to up that average to 20.6 points per game, um, you know, during district and whatnot. You know, the, uh, in addition to Whitefield, the, uh, the backfield, it's, it is the definition of a committee when you look at the way that their rushing production has, uh, has manifested this season. They don't have a running back that has over 400 yards, but they have four running backs that have at least 275. And, uh, you know, uh, Ellis Patterson, Peyton Shaw, Jay Thompson, and then, of course, the aforementioned Carter Whitefield. Um, you know, but the, uh, the story with this team, you know, pretty much all season, though, has been the, uh, the steadiness of that defense. You know, a unit that has averaged, you know, just over 20 and a half points per game. Um, you know, we've talked at length about how strong they are at linebacker with Matteo Bianchi, who's been one of the breakout stars in the area um, on defense. You have Ethan Wesloski. He had a big pick six last week against Prosper. Jimmy Fex, who is the defensive newcomer of the year in, uh, in District 96A last season. Uh, Luke Reber is another name to watch at linebacker. Um, they use a lot of two-way guys in the secondary, Caden Park and Peyton Shaw. You know, Park doubles as a wide receiver on offense. Peyton Shaw has been used, as we mentioned, as, a, as one of their top rushers. Um, you know, it's a unit that is, it's certainly, um, you know, despite the, uh, the the raw numbers, they've certainly shown well, at least, you know, in parts against, you know, some of the more um, top-end offenses on their uh, on their schedule, um, you know, especially in district play. And, you know, with um, against Allen, they held Allen to just 21 points or three quarters. Against Geyer, Geyer only had three points at halftime against Boyd, only 10 points or three quarters. Um, and then, you know, their um, kind of their, their statement game, you know, obviously, you know, looking beyond that, uh, that overtime winning against Nelson was actually the following week against Denton Braswell, a Braswell team that came in just averaging all sorts of just video game numbers on offense. And then uh, they only scored 12 against, uh, against Boyd in a, in a 42 to 12 victory. That was kind of the coming out party for this, uh, this McKinney Boyd team. And they've since been able to parlay it into a, uh, a four and six record, a, a three and three mark in district play. This is again, their first playoff appearance since, uh, since 2014. And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a team that certainly has a very, very different means to victory from um you know from Louisville but nevertheless though a team that's back in the playoffs for the first time in quite some time and uh, head coach Joe McBride's second year with the program um yeah so uh David uh, David Devin what do we kind of make um just as, as far as what McKinney Boyd has brought to the table and um just how are you guys feeling about them heading into this matchup uh, I'm feeling pretty good about their defense um <clears throat> like you, like you said like this is this is a a meeting of like shut down defense versus high flying offense. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes like, you know, they say defense wins championships and that is true. That so, is the cliche. I mean, this, this could be a perfect, you know, perfect, perfect, you know, game for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you mentioned Matteo Bianchi, who's committed to Navy and just all the stats that he's put up this year. But, um, the way that they sh- shut down Denton Braswell to hold them just to 12 points with mm-hmm. all the talent that they have on their oh, team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same Braswell team that beat Prosper. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, that I shellacked mean, Prosper. Yeah. That. yeah. 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 So, I mean, this, I mean, McKinney Boyd, even though they have a four and six record, they've been battle tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, they beat Braswell, then they've, then they've had that, they had that, they played Prosper, they've played Allen, they've played Denton Guy, all of them, you know, some of the top teams in the state right there. So, I mean, this is a chance to show, like, hey, you know, like, our record might not indicate how good we actually are. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a game that, you know, like, you take a look at the, the way that um, Louisville has played against some teams this year, um, like, like the way they struggled against uh, Plano West. For sure. And Plano West, they play, look how good the defense, like, 
they play like that's what they hold their hat on is mm-hmm. good defense. No doubt. You hold defense, you know, run tick time off the clock. This seems like the perfect, you know, kind of case for that. They they can play maybe the same kind of card that uh that uh Plano West showed against Louisville. Like so just rely on that running back by committee and uh just you know limit the number of uh just like limit the number of t- times that Louisville is able to get in on offense. Mm. In, yeah. um, in addition with Louisville, obviously, I mean, again, yeah, you always start with the offense, Devin, but um, as you kind of had, uh, had noted, Louisville's defense has started to turn a bit of a corner of late. You know, obviously the, the raw numbers won't grade out to the caliber of Boyd's, but it's certainly a unit that is playing at least over the past few weeks a far more inspired brand of football. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just when you kind of look at it, um, you know, taking the, the, the Marcus game out of the equation. No doubt. They kind of got, got away from him. But, uh, you know, 21 against uh, Flower Mound, 14 against Capel, 18 against Hebron. And, you know, sometimes in these games, especially when they're blowouts, which all three of these games, you know, basically were, mm-hmm. you know, you get those late garbage touchdowns that kind of inflates. I mean, they're able to, to post those numbers, you know, three or four quarters when they're in control. Um, so, you know, that's, that's – I mean, certainly – that's a positive sign for, for Louisville, mm-hmm. um, you know, just in terms of where they were early in the season. But, uh, you know, the spotlight, as far as Louisville is concerned, is on the other side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. Louisville coming into this one was a 6-3 and three record, 4-2 and two in district play. This is their third straight playoff appearance. You would actually have to go back to from 1999 to 2001 for the last time this program strung together three straight years of postseason berths. And, yeah, from the get-go, I mean, even back before the season started and we were previewing what we thought could be the top offenses in our coverage area. Louisville was one of the first names that came to mind just because of the continuity that they had at the skill positions with Taylor Green, their quarterback, Damian Martinez, the running back, the uh, the offensive newcomer of the year in 6-6-A last season, and then the one-two punch at wide receiver with Isaiah Stevens and Armani Winfield. And in some ways, honestly, this unit might have exceeded expectations <laughs> with what they've done. I mean, it's just, it is absurd how, especially since that game against Plano West, the level that they've gone up to. Um, on the year, the offense is averaging 500 141.1 yards per game, just a shade under 47 points per game. Um, again, yeah, Taylor Green, just I mean, 2,400 passing yards. This is how insane this district was this year. He's number six in the area in passing yardage, but was number three in District 66A um, with the efforts of Garrett Nussmeyer of Marcus and Nick Evers of Flower Mound. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite the offensive district. Yeah. Um, you know, 23 passing touchdowns for Taylor, six interceptions. He did add, add a six. 133 rushing yards and seven more touchdowns on the ground. Damian Martinez was probably the biggest revelation of all. I mean, again, he had a nice little breakout campaign last year. I don't know if anybody outside that program saw him leading the Metroplex (laughs) in rushing yards and really, like, not by a hair, but just, I mean... It's insane. So he, he right now he's at six sixteen hundred thirty one yards, twenty five touchdowns in just nine games played. Again, number one in the area in rushing yardage. He finished one hundred and eighty one yards ahead of second place. Who's Lake Highlands? Noel Whitehead, part of that explosive offense with the Wildcats. Lake Highlands played ten games, so that's just to kind of just put into into perspective just the kind of year that Martinez had, playing one game fewer and still finishing almost two hundred yards ahead of the pack. What a year for him. Um, out at receiver, I mean. Isaiah Stevens leads the area in receiving yardage right now. He's got, you know, 1,049 yards, 13 touchdowns. Both those marks are tied for tops in the area. Armani Winfield, one of the top recruits in the area at the wide receiver position, 564 and four touchdowns. I mean, since being held to 17 points in that loss to Plano West, they've averaged almost 51 points per game, and they've scored at least 38 in five straight games. I mean, so that's... 
that's the floor for this team right now is is uh, is 38 points and that was against Marcus who you know as the rest of the district schedule panned out you know you kind of see that Marcus is is you know one of the better defenses in the area and even then that was a game I mean that was a game in the second half Louisville had a lead for a bit that was the first time Marcus has trailed all season in the second half of a ball game um it came against Louisville um you know, yeah, again, so they've scored at least 38 in five straight games. For comparison's sake, McKinney Boyd's offense has scored 38 just once this season, and it was against Braswell. Um, and, yeah, like you said, Devin, the uh, the defense starting to turn a corner there. It's, you know, that was a unit that, um, you know, with as much of a spotlight as was on the offense to start the season, you weren't really sure what to make of if Lucas was just going to have to win every game, you know, 48 to 45 and whatnot. Because that's defense. it's a defense that's really young, you know, and they had a lot of success at the sub-varsity levels, you know, so it was a unit that kind of needed to – you know, kind of a bit of a baptism by fire to start with some of the offenses that they faced to begin the year, you know, with uh, Rockwall Heath and Arlington Lamar. Uh, but then, um, you know, you've seen, especially in the secondary with some of their young guys, underclassmen like Jaden Hardy, Cameron Jenkins, you know, it's a unit that has really started to kind of find its footing there. And um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned just the, the opponents that they played down the stretch, Devin, like those were all teams that were contend- uh, contending for playoff spots. So it wasn't like there was any hiccup there late in the season. It's a unit that, you know, they're, it just lends it lends a little bit of clarity to the fact that these defensive numbers might be you know sustainable a bit you know for as long as Louisville's kicking around in the playoffs. Um, so that's kind of a look at the uh, at the farmers and where they're at. As far as um, just kind of some storylines coming into this one, David, you alluded to this, but um, on McKinney Boyd's side, I mean, you look at that Plano West game is like okay, well, I mean, what can we do to replicate that? Because that is really the only time that anyone has made that Louisville offense look mortal for a full four quarters. Um, you know, and it Again, how much of that is how much of that version of Louisville even exists anymore? Because, like I said, since then, even despite playing great defenses like Marcus and Capel, they've had no trouble scoring. So, um, you know, but if you're Boyd and there is something though to draw from, if you think back to that matchup, that district opener, um, you know, what um, what do you recall about that one, David? As far as that performance from uh, from Plano West, what were they able to do to slow down uh, Louisville? And what um, what I mean, what sort of strategy I guess can Boyd try to replicate this uh this Friday? I just saw the numbers on paper. I actually wasn't there in person. But... I was, so but I want you to but, talk. Oh, okay, 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 <laughs> okay. Um, from what I recall, it was the fact that Plano West took away Taylor Green's first rate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, like. A lot of high school quarterbacks, they like to look at their first read, you know, go to there. But, like, you know, they, they forced the uh, Taylor Green to hold the ball a lot longer than what he did, forced some indecision. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it didn't get the numbers that he wanted to. made some um, – I think he probably, you know, didn't throw as many yards as he wanted to. So, I think that's the key for them. You know, if you're bored, you just go, you got to play disciplined defense against this team right here. you got to tackle. You you know, you just can't – you can't let the receivers get open. You've got to have good communication. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if they can look at the film and see, you know, the discipline that Plano West played with, McKinney Boyd can get a ch- has a chance to win this game. Yeah, the one thing that West was really, really successful in doing, in addition to making you know Green really have to think a bit, you know, more than he's accustomed to, you know, they really they took away the big play, um, you know, and after that uh, that first drive, um, yeah, I mean, Damian Martinez, he still got his, you know, on the ground, but as far as that passing game went, they generated, they had 68 passing yards in their opening drive at just 74 the rest of the ball game. Um, again, like Isaiah Stevens, he finished with five for 96, but no other receiver had more than 
than 25 receiving yards. And a lot of that was because Plano was just did a good job keeping everything in front of them. You know, they didn't let them get many much as far as yards after the catch. And yeah, I mean, it just, it was about as it's the only time all season that a team has really been able to do that over the course of four quarters. You can have success for a series or two, but eventually the levy breaks and, you know, Lewis was able to get up to, you know, up in the, you know, the mid forties and whatnot. But yeah, that Plano West performance, certainly something that, uh, you know, McKinney Boyd will try to replicate. Honestly, though, as far as Boyd's defense goes, and this is kind of where the whole, um, the whole aspect of complimentary football comes into play is that they're going to need some help from the offense. The offense has to be able to sustain drives in this because you've seen, like we mentioned, like there were moments earlier on when, when they faced, uh, you know, other elite offenses like Allen and Geyer, they were great for two quarters, three quarters, and then all hell broke loose in the fourth quarter. And in the case of the Allen game, they scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. In the case of the Geyer game, they scored 23. So, and that's, you know, what that tells me is that that's a defense that's starting to get a little tired. So that's where I think it's, um, you know, the onus will kind of be on that offense then to sustain drives and at least give the defense a chance to still have its gas for the, uh, for the fourth quarter. Um, is there anything about this game particularly that jumps out to you, Devin, as far as some sort of subplot that you're interested in? You know, I, I mean, you know, we, we've touched on most of the thing. You, you mentioned the time of possession. I also, you know, I think Boyd needs to win the turnover margin. No doubt. Um, that They need that defense not to put too much pressure on that defense we've already asked him to slow down Louisville now you're asking him to go out there and, and, and score pick six or whatever but no I, I do think that Boyd needs to because if you win the turnover margin that means you're taking care of the ball on offense also mm-hmm. uh but their defense needs to make a couple of big plays I think it will be interesting if they can keep that first quarter is going to be key because if Louisville gets out and they have to start playing catch up then this game could turn into a into a blow real yeah. quick but if they can hang around you know Boyd's played what five games that have been decided by seven points or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're two and three, but the experience of having been through those, whereas Louisville's closest game this season was 10-point margin. And it was that and, loss against Plano West. And, and, I, and I know some of those games were close in the fourth quarter, so mm-hmm. point spread doesn't tell you everything. But uh, you got a Boyd that's a team that's gone down to the wire with one play kind of de- determining wins and losses, and a Louisville team that hasn't really been in that situation. So, you know, we kind of laid out what Boyd needs to do to, to make it a game mm-hmm. and, and to, to, get to, that mar- to get to that point. I think if they can do that in the fourth quarter, um, all the things that we've laid out, I mean, they have the experience right there. As far as a prediction goes, where did you guys fall on this one? How about you, David? I feel like I feel Louisville just has the upper hand on offense. It's it's going to be tough for you know McKinney Boyd just to hang its hat on its defense the entire game. They might get a pick six or maybe you know a turnover, and obviously they're not going to allow Louisville to score. Points on all ten drives, like like it did last. You'd week. hope not. Yeah, I'd like to think that Louisville's and Louisville, but Boyd's defense is shown to be a bit more formidable than that. But yeah, I feel like you know Boyd's going to hang around for a little bit. But I feel like you know it's you know just just to be able to string some together some drives. I don't know how well Boyd can do it. And like Devin said, Louisville's defense is you know rounding into form, especially with all the younger players that they have. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I feel like Louisville's going to win this game. How about you, Devin? Are you in concert with David? Where did you fall on this one? Well, good news to McKinney Boyd fans because I picked Louisville, and if you have any idea of my history of picking McKinney ISD <laughs> football games, that means that uh, more often than not, I am totally wrong on this. Uh, no, I just uh, again, I, I just the firepower that Louisville has. Um, it, it's just it's hard to see them being held under thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if Boyd's defense plays well, yeah. and I just don't know if Boyd has the firepower to keep pace with that. 
With Boyd, I mean, I they, they really have to do play like their fate rests on scoring an absolute season high in points per game. I mean, we talked about the need to sustain drives, to finish drives, and I mean finish drives with touchdowns. If you have to kick a field goal in this game, I yeah. feel like that's already uh, just a concession right there. I mean, it's just because you're just not going to win a game against an offense the caliber of Louisville's if you're settling for three instead of seven. So, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the same things that kind of worked in their favor against Braswell, you know, that's a game as far as the offense goes, what they could also try to approximate because in addition to I mean they won that game by 30 so it was as convincing as it was you know it wasn't just the defense that showed out but the offense had a season high 42 points and they did that through field field position and then time of possession Um, but all that being said especially when you factor in the strides that Louisville's defense has made you know for all the question marks that might have surrounded that unit at the start of the season uh, the fact that they were able to slow down playoff caliber um, offenses like like Capel, like Hebron, and uh, and Flower Mound late in the season. I think that you know kind of bodes well for their chances in this one. I mean, I feel like yeah, again, there's a a floor to what the offense is going to do, but even that, I think that floor might be higher than Boyd's ceiling in this matchup. So I, yeah, I side with Louisville to get the win in this one. So um, yeah, we will see a clean sweep for uh, for the Louisville Farmers though, at least according to the three of us in our game of the week: Louisville versus McKinney Boyd, Friday seven o'clock out at Max Goldsmith Stadium in Louisville. Phil in a Class 6A Division 1 by district matchup. So, um, all right, guys, as per usual, then let's bat around a few of the other games that were up for consideration for Game of the Week. Uh, Devin, we got a couple games in your neck of the woods that are of, of intrigue, including one out at Homer B. Johnson Stadium out in Garland, Friday, 7 o'clock, between Saxe and Skyline. This game was an absolute pain for me to pick, so I will <laughs> turn it over to you, man. Just kind of break down what you see in this one. Ultimately, where did you fall on this matchup? Uh, you know, it's it's two teams that uh, obviously are not exactly trending the way that not they would exactly. have hoped to go into the playoffs. <laughs> not particularly um, so. Saxe, a team that I probably had a chance to see more than anybody else this season, has been just a head-scratcher really? all season long. Um, you know, they come into this game uh, having lost four of their last five. Uh, but the one when they did hit was the one that counted because that was their seeding play-in game mm-hmm. against South Garland. Uh, they've had some close games uh, in that stretch. You know, they had that 35-33 game to Rowlett. Uh The game with you know, game with Naaman, even in the in their finale, was still close for the most part. Again, it's just it's one of those teams that you just and you look at like last week they scored seven points against Naaman Forest, and you go you sit there and I watch them. I said how. It just seems like, uh, and they did the same thing against Wiley. Um, you know, Alex Orjai, their quarterback, he's thrown for 1,400 yards. Mm-hmm. He's nearly rushed for 1,000 yards. He's at 926 and 15 touchdowns. Uh, you know, Brian Okoye and Corey Jones, their two primary running backs uh, who have basically rushed for over $1,000, $1,000, 1,000 yards <laughs> combined. Um, they're both averaging better than seven yards a carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, Tyler Williams, Jagger Rowland, Jaden Hunter, Elijah Ames, they've got guys that can catch the ball. They're averaging more than 450 yards a game. Yeah. Everything says this and, offense and, should be putting up points it, like it, nobody's it business. Just, they just seem to shoot themselves in the foot. Really? And, and it's just, again, you can't really put your finger on it. Uh, they, they've had some inopportune penalties um, that, that have taken them out of drives. Uh, I, a couple turnovers here and there, but they're not a real big turnover team. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a, a matter of, of the, between the 20s, they're really, really st- strong, really, really consistent. But it seems like once they get down there into that area, into the red zone, uh, they just haven't been able to find a way to finish. Uh, but the potential's there. Mm-hmm. That's why if I'm a, a Saxon fan, I'm really optimistic because their defense has done a good job, you know, for the most part all season long. 
Um, and, and I think Skyline might be kind of the perfect first-round opponent for them mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, Skyline's played in a lot of close games yeah. with the exception of Rockwall. Uh, now, they, they didn't have to play Rockwall Heath, <laughs> which I don't think would have been a close game. Yeah. Uh, they, they've got so, the nice close wins. Um, you know, they, they, non-district, they beat McKinney and they beat Keller. Uh, Tyler Legacy, that was a solid win early in district play. No doubt. Uh, but, you know, you look at their last three. Uh, the, the blowout lost to Rockwall. Uh, they had a rally from a fourth-quarter deficit against a North Mesquite team that is really just a, been so depleted this last month because just their depth was was so far gone and then they lose to a horn team that came in winless in district 18 to 7 in a game where their their offense gen- didn't generate any points their lone points were, was from a, a pick six so um you know and this was a horn team that missed out on the playoffs so you know they're trending kind of in the same direction from a win-loss <laughs> standpoint as Saxy. Um, they you know i i haven't seen some of their highlights. You know, Jalen Robinson's a solid quarterback. Uh, Quay Darius Davis and Quaylon Farr in the in the backfield are solid. But uh, Saxe's done done a good job uh, up front against a lot of these teams. Uh, you know, containing it and, and keeping keeping it close. I, and I just think that you know, Saxe's kind of it's almost one of those teams where they're kind of due. You know, if you put up that many yards, it's going to translate into points. Some, you know, at some point in time, you would think. And so, no, I, I took Saxe because, like I say, I, I just think that the potential is there. I think they're catching opponent that they match up really well with. And uh, no, I'm looking for for Saxe to march on and live to fight another day. David, you took Saxe as well. I did take Saxe. Just the fact that Skyline just having so much trouble on offense right now, mm-hmm. and you know what? Like all, all the only thing that's that uh, Saxe can't do is just turn the ball over because um, this is the same skyline team that had what five interceptions in that, in that uh, come from behind win over North Mesquite. I think it was Devin. Yeah. So if they just don't, if they just don't turn the ball over, this, yeah. this should be a pretty, pretty solid win for Saxe. I picked skyline and I really don't have any good reason for it. <laughs> it's more just like the version of skyline that existed back in October, I think is better than anything that Saxe's shown up to this point. And I guess, I mean, it's got it's so weird to try to just talk about Saxe in these terms because of losing four out of their last five. I just don't think either of us would have fathomed that fathom they would go through a stretch like this, you know, and I, I guess the inconsistencies at some point, I mean, after, I mean, I've been covering Plano ISD football, so I've seen some offenses that are look, look the part for 90 for mm-hmm. 99% of the drive. And then they shoot themselves on the foot and just after a while that just kind of becomes who you are you know so um yeah it's again i think it is a bit of a, a bit of a coin flip but by the slimmest of margin just because again like i have at least seen a version of skyline that exists against playoff caliber teams like legacy like mesquite for that matter um and yeah i again who knows again it's to be fair if that version of that team even exists anymore <laughs> given what this last month has shown us but um you know when you have two teams that on paper the resumes really don't have a whole lot of difference that's just kind of the one thing that I can cling to in this one. And, yeah, without a whole lot of confidence, I took Skyline. So we'll see. That'll probably backfire. It's probably a stupid <laughs> pick. You'll still be leading us in the standings regardless. Yeah, I don't want to lose ground, though. Let's see. So then our next game, let's stick Let's stick right in your wheelhouse, Devin, and let's talk about uh, talk about Poteet, the Poteet Pirates, in this matchup that they have coming up Friday at, uh, at Mesquite Memorial Stadium. Is it a 7 o'clock kickoff? I know yes. they have a lot of 730s out there. It is a 7 o'clock kickoff for this one. A by district matchup in 5A Division II against Everman. Talk about this matchup, Devin. Yeah, you know, this is a – it's – you know, at Ever, Everman team, we don't have a lot of a, a contact with, um, you know, until you get down into the playoffs. And a Poteet team that um, 
you know, it, it seems odd saying this after they play a full season because they actually did play a full season for the most part. But, um, you know, it's... Didn't they technically technically play more than a full season? Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. Was, <laughs> they had the odd uh, where they got the... Four, they, you know, a lot of districts went to no contest. Yeah. Uh, that Their 6-5A Division two actually did have forfeits. So on one of those... Um, Weeks, Poteet was already awarded a forfeit win, but they were able to squeeze in a non-district game uh, at, the, at the same time. So, yeah, they, their record says they played 11 games going into the playoffs. <laughs> <coughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's been kind of a hard – last week was big because they had the big marquee game against South Oak Cliff that kind of everybody had circled as the, as the measuring stick. And they played well but lost that game 27-14. Well, then after that, they had two lopsided blowouts – uh, the just shutouts where there was no contest, and uh, then they had a buy, and then they had a forfeit. Um, so we really, since late October, hadn't got to see you know what Poteet could really do until last week, and then they played Kimball. The two teams were tied for second, and uh, you know of course the second seed. This is a, a big deal because of home field that they introduced the last few years. So um, they came out and just really. Took it to them. They won that game forty to fourteen, clearly establishing themselves as the as the second best team in that uh, in that district. Um, you know, again, it's hard to project their uh, playoff future because they really haven't played the toughest district slate. Now, you know, you look back at their you know season opener, they lost to Lake Highlands forty nine to twenty. Well, at the time, you kind of go, oh, I don't know if that's. <laughs> well, now you look back, oh, and you yeah. go, oh that, wow, well, that was not that, a that loss is aged. Spectacularly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a, a, a bad loss at all. Then they had a loss to a, a very good Midlothian Heritage team. That was the, the last-second last replacement. Um, and, then the, and then to Sock. Um, you know, I like this Boutique team. Uh, it's, you know, Jalen Police, they have an experienced quarterback back there. Uh, you know, he's thrown for almost 1,800 yards, 21 touchdowns. He's a good running threat, rushed for over 500 yards and seven scores. Uh, Xavion Jeans has been mm-hmm. kind of their workhorse, but they brought in Demarcus Taylor, who's also one of their best defensive players, who's averaging over 10 yards pop on the ground. Uh, a bunch of different guys that can catch the ball. You know, Marcel Jackson, uh, Kenan Puckett, Deshaun Turner. Charles Bradley. These are all guys who have had big games at different times, and so Police has four legitimate options outside, and so they've got the, they've got that balanced. Uh, you know, again, it's kind of hard to say when the game is forty eight nothing at halftime. Yeah. But uh, again, last week against Kimball, uh, a solid playoff bound Kimball team, uh, they were able to show off that balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really impressive effort. Uh, the defense has been you know really good, uh, really since those first couple games against, you know, with, with Lake Highlands and whatnot, you know, Nick DeVille, uh, Malik Harrison, Stephen Kirk, I mentioned Demarcus Taylor. Uh, these guys are, are all guys who fly to the ball. Uh, you know, I think they're Poteet has a well-rounded team that, um, you know, even though I think they're maybe a little bit overlooked, um, you know, could make a little bit of noise. Uh, again, this is their first year. They've been Right there in, the, in Division One, this is their first year dropping down to Division Two, so this is a new, I guess, playoff landscape for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're taking on an Everman team that uh, we don't see too much of. Uh, we know that they're going to be battle tested. They play in a very, very good district. Yes. Um, you know, just looking by their numbers, uh, they got a solid quarterback and Eric Calamis uh, doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes. He can he can run the ball too, and that's that's kind of where I'm looking in this game as far as the key. Uh, you know, you look, it looks like that Everman uses a kind of a, 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 a 
group of different running backs. Like I said Jonathan Wilson, Juan Davis, Joshua Lester. I think according to their website, they've gone for basically 1,700 yards and 17 touchdowns. And you throw in Callum and they've gone for over 2,000 yards on mm-hmm. the ground. Well, that's the one area Poteet's going to have to focus on because when they lost to South Oak Cliff in that showdown, they gave up 317 yards on the ground. And Sock averaged 11.3 yards per carry. <laughs> now, granted, South Oak Cliff's a very good yes. athletic team, and especially in that ground game. But uh, that's going to be, uh, I think, where everybody is obviously going to look to attack them. Mm-hmm. And if Poti can stand firm up there with their front seven and limit that ground game, I think their offense has enough to get the job done. This is one, though, where uh, both David, you and I picked Everman in this one. Since I just tried wrapping my brain on the pretzel, pretzel trying to justify my skyline pick, <laughs> I'm going to defer to you on this one since I don't want to do that again because I think this is another game that is an absolute coin flip. Mm-hmm. Oh, where'd you oh, land? Oh, on? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm on the air. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, this is a toss-up for me too. I, I, I think I saw Everman maybe one time in a scrimmage back in the days. But <laughs> is that is that what you're drawing upon? Not 100. percent When not we start 100%. getting into playoff but, games and the schools we don't recognize, and we'll just grasp on. But like, I feel like they're battle-tested in that district yeah, that they face. No obviously, Alito and is in their district right there. And I think Timberview is in their district they as are. well, too. And they played so. a tough preseason schedule, too. Yeah, yeah. Damn. So I feel like this is a team that's battle-tested. Like you said, Devin, you know, they rely a lot on their ground game. And you're going to have to face not one back, but several different backs to try to stop. So, I mean, how is uh, Petit's offense, defense going to be able to handle that? That's strength in numbers. So, uh, yeah, David, you and I picked Everman. Devin rolling with Poteet. And what should be a good matchup over in uh, Class 5A Division Two to kick off the postseason. Got a couple 6A matchups to close this one out, including one, David, Saturday, out at C.H. Collins Stadium in Denton. This is 1 o'clock? 1 p.m., yep. 1 p.m. A meeting between Capel and Denton Geyer, the uh, the reigning 6A Division Two runner-up against a uh, Capel team making a return to the playoffs after a one-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, David, uh, how do you how you feeling about this one for the Cowboys? And just talk a little bit about this matchup and where you're leaning. Maybe some people outside the program aren't feeling good about this, but I actually am. Ooh. Uh, I tip your hand on that pick right there. I, I yeah. am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, th- I guess you already tipped the hand. I guess you know who I'm picking after you just said that. So, yeah. um, you know, this is a Capel team. They're back in the playoffs. Um, it feels like, you know, they've they got so much talent to be able to keep up with Geyer, especially on the offensive side of the ball right mm-hmm. there. Um, and this is a team that, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, we weren't really sure about just because they had a COVID shutdown at the, cause they completely closed the high school for a week. For sure. So, and they couldn't even practice at their high school and the game before Louisville, they only had one day of practice and then they went to lose, I think 39 to 14. Yeah. So, I mean, but the last two weeks, you know, they've really got their, they've really, you know, gotten a playoff mode. Um, they, Ron Walker two weeks ago against Plano EC threw for six touchdown passes right there. And then last week, um, Jason Nagoo, their senior running back, you know, he's been their workhorse the entire season in the in the running game. All he did last week against Flower Mound right, in a game that Capel had to win to mm-hmm. get in the playoffs, not have to worry about any of the what ifs right there. He rushed for two hundred and seventy five yards and three touchdowns. That's good. That's yeah, yeah, not a bad <laughs> outing. And uh and it's a it's a game that Capel is overall as a team rushed for 383 yards, and the way that Capel ru- runs the ball, it could be you know an advantage against Geyer because mm-hmm. like you look at Geyer, you I don't know if you were there for Geyer against Allen. No, you know I was. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you saw what um, Allen's running rush offense did against Geyer's mm-hmm. defense right they there. They torched him. They torched him. So mm-hmm. I mean, this is a game that 
and, and they had 16 yards per carry that mm-hmm. Allen did in that game. So, like, if, if Capel's offensive line, you know, they've had really good offensive line this year. If they can, you know, you know, produce, generate the same kind of totals that Nagu did last week against Flower Mound. I mean, they've got a chance to, you know, do some good things against Geyer. Um, and obviously, for, also for Capel, um, their wide receiver, K.J. Liggins, mm-hmm. actually played for Geyer last year, but now he's back at Capel. So that's another storyline going into this game as well, too. And all he's done this year is uh, cut for almost uh, – 900 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's going to be interesting to see, you know, what they do against him. Uh, now, on Denton Geyer's side of the ball, side of the things, uh, they're they're back in the playoffs after going all the way to the state championship game last year. And unfortunately, in that game, quarterback Eli Stowers of Texas A&M pledge, uh, he got injured in that game. Mm-hmm. So, you're just interesting to see, you know, all the motivation that he has to, you know. Especially go, being a senior. Especially being a senior. Last go out, playoff go out run. Like this. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is a, a, a Denton Geyer team that's very physical, runs the ball very Absolutely. very well. Um, not only with, with uh, Stowers, but uh, Byron Phillips as well, too, who's rushed for uh, 923 yards and 16 touchdowns on the year. Um, so, I mean, this is a, a Capella defense that's going to have its work cut out for them. I mean, the, the, the thing they have to do is they got to tackle against these guys. Mm-hmm. So, um, and – and so that's and obviously Stowers he can throw the ball too, uh, sixteen seventy eight through the air, uh, ten touchdowns. Um, his uh, he's, he's has eight different receivers with at least a hundred yards receiving. Um, his main receiver is uh, Grayson O'Bara. He has twenty receptions for four hundred twenty seven yards, and he's averaging twenty one point four yards per reception. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you you got to be got to kind of keep your eyes out on the field if you're Capel's defense. Um, and defensively, you know they uh, they've got. Uh, Geyer's got some good guys up front right there with uh, with uh, defensive and Cooper Lance, who's a Baylor commit. Uh, he's five sacks on the year, 62 tackles. And then junior uh, defensive tackle Roman Briggs, he's got 48 tackles, six tackles for loss, and four sacks. So um, they kind of spread the wealth of there on defense with with Geyer. So um, this is a game that, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting um, on both sides of the ball. I think it's more evenly matched up than what people are, are playing out to be. Um, obviously, a big thing for Geyer is that they don't have Deuce Harmon, mm-hmm. their Texas a and commit. Um, he's out for the rest of the season with a lower back injury. So, I mean, that's that's uh, like one less uh, person in the defense that Capel has to worry about. Um, obviously, the big the big thing like strategy for both of these teams is that you got to get out to fast starts. Absolutely, both of these teams have not. They've had struggles, you know, getting out to fast starts. Mm-hmm. Um, Geyer's had its slow starts as well, too. I mean, you take a look at the McKinney-Boyd game, and then you take a look at the Prosper game when they fell behind by double digits. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, fortunately, you know, uh, against Prosper, they won on an Eli Stowers touchdown run with no time left. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're Capel, like, and you're seeing that Geyer's falling behind, you know, in these games right here, like, hey, if we come out strong, you know, we got a chance to win this game. Because, you know, Geyer comes out to some slow starts. Do you think they can win this game? I actually picked them to win this game. There you go. <laughs> I picked Capel to win this game. So I'm, I'm going to take Capel. I'm going with the Cowboys this week. How about you, Deb? Where'd you lean on this one? Geyer. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I, you know, Capel's going to have a shot. Capel's going to oh, score. Yeah. I think this could be a um, close game. You know, I, I just think Geyer having the experience of last year mm-hmm. and making it all the way to the state title game and something I brought up last year. The Rodney Webb effect. Absolutely. Uh, you know, here's we. Gotta you know, I mentioned the Rodney Webb factor. I, I said, I said it last. You know, the guy takes Royce City 
his first head coaching mm-hmm. job to a regional final, moves over to Mesquite Horn, takes them to a regional final, moves over to Rockwell, takes them to a regional final, then last year to the state semifinals. Um, you know, he just he wins in the playoffs. For sure. Um, and it could be a, a perfect mix. You know, it's his first year at Geyer. Um, but, you know, again, I think that experience of having been there, uh, having so many of those key guys back mm-hmm. – um, in the fold, I just I, I think uh, you know Geyer's going to come out and, and, and not just win. I think Geyer's going to be a team that we're talking about potentially you know three four weeks down the road. With uh, with Webb in his seven seasons at Rockwall, he advanced to the, at least the second round six times. Um, and again, this is a guy who the last memory that folks have of him coaching in the playoffs included defeating Allen, which. Only four coaches in the state can say that they've done that since October of 2012. Um, yeah, the uh, and I get it. Geyer has, you know, like I said, I think Capel makes this a game because, again, I do think there is a, a path to victory that potent rushing offenses like Allen, like Denton Ryan have been able to capitalize on with this team. But, um, again, I just, yeah, I kind of just go with the pedigree and, again, just the track record of a coach who I know is going to coach this team up and take the requisite chances necessary if his team is facing any adversity to win these sort of high-stakes situations. And, you know, with Capel, just haven't done that just just yet with this current iteration. So um, I sided with Geyer as well. Um, so let's close this out then with a look at another game between uh, between these two districts, 6-6-A and 5-6-A. And this one also on Saturday. This one kicks off at noon from Marauder Stadium in Flower Mound, a meeting between Marcus and Prosper. Ooh, this is a juicy matchup. Um, basically, I mean, like we outlined on Monday's podcast, the storyline of this one is pretty simple. The entire area right now is on Garrett Nussmeyer watch. If you're a Marcus fan, you are crossing your fingers that by some, uh, you know, somehow, some way, he's able to suit up and, uh, and give it a go despite suffering a hand injury to his not throwing hand at that. Um, you know, in their game last week against Plano East, um, man, yeah, it's you know, like we mentioned on Monday's podcast, if they do have to dig down the depth chart, you have Jackson Warren who did get some experience in mop up duty. Again, obviously, that's you know, one thing playing in the fourth quarter against, you know, tired defenses is not the same as playing against what's been statistically one of the better defenses in the Metroplex and Prosper. Um, you know, but again, he does have a litany of skill position threats around him. J. Michael Sturdivant, Dallas Dudley, Tyler Shot at wide receiver, um, you know, Gabe Espinosa in the backfield at running back. So, I mean, listen, he doesn't have to do a ton per se, or at least, you know, that should be Marcus's hope that if he does have to, you know, does have to get the start that, you know, they will try to make it as, as simple on him as possible. Now, how accommodating Prosper will be for that is another story because Prosper's defense has certainly shown well um, in some pretty high stakes opposition um, up to this point. Again, that loss to Braswell is forever going to be a bit, a bit of a, a head scratcher, how a team that <laughs> was able to, you know, that for all intents and purposes probably should have beat Geyer and you can make a case should have beat Allen um, that they would, uh, you know, get you know get hammered by uh, by 17 to a Braswell team that missed out on the postseason, but that's just the kind of district that 5-6-A was this year. And then, I mean, they were playing in an absolute kitchen sink type of game against McKinney Boyd and won that game by one point. So in some ways, Prosser's been a very, very difficult team to figure out. But man, this is such an X factor, though, if Nussmeyer is unable to go. If he is able to go, I mean, what percentage is he at? Does the hand injury, does that affect his style of play? You know, as far as his ability to, you know, make the same types of, you know, uh, types of plays outside of the pocket, those uh, those off-schedule throws that he's become so uh, so noted for. It's um it's a really, really tricky matchup that just got all the more, uh, you know, cloudier with the, um, you know, with this injury 
to to the Marcus quarterback, and so much so that I'm picking Prosper. And this is another game, another game that I have very little confidence in this in this in this uh, prediction. But I mean, I already thought this was going to be a really difficult matchup for them, even if both teams were at full strength. Just knowing the ceiling that this Prosper team is capable of reaching, um, and it's just there's been something. It's those games against those kind of those middle rung teams like the Braswells and the Boyds that have been a bit of a head scratchers. But you know that when pressed against the best teams that they've seen all season, they're going to bring it. And it might be just a team that plays to the level of its competition, you know, but I mean, they started off, they kind of announced their presence at the start of the year with a big road win against a state rank Euless Trinity team that has certainly aged quite well with what Trinity has done for the remainder of its schedule. And like we just mentioned, the, the, I mean, the way that they were able to push Geyer and Allen, I mean, that's, I think that means something. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, we'll see what happens behind center for Marcus, but it's, again, it's not a pick that I make with much confidence, but give me the Eagles. Uh, let's see who wants to make their pick on this one to round this out. <laughs> go well, for it, David. Well, since you picked Prosper, you're going to have somebody who's going to back you up right here. There you go. <laughs> so, I'm gonna, you know, it's not only uh, just the, the quarterback factor in this game, you know, with Nussmeyer, his status we're not sure of. Mm-hmm. You've got to take a look at Prosper's defense. Yeah. I mean, up front with Aiden Ciano, Herman Lee. Their linebackers are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, the way that, like, even if Nussmeyer plays, the way that they're able to, you know, bring pressure towards the quarterback yeah. right there, I mean, they could give him a handful right there. Because they're not going to hold back even if he is, you know, not going to take it easy on him and try to avoid doing not. anything to that hand. Of course not. Yeah. It's a playoffs. They will, yeah. Why should they hold back? So I feel, I feel like, you know, Prosper with that and the fact that they've been in a, a lot of, like, you know, games, that battle-tested games against Geyer and Allen, I mean, this is – this is going to be a game, I feel like, just based on that experience right here, where Marcus has been on in some blowouts right here, mm-hmm. I feel like the factor of being in close games is going to help prosper a lot. Yeah. Prosper has been in its share of close games, to be sure. Um, so, yeah, David, you and I took Prosper. Devin, you took Marcus. We actually had quite a bit of dissension on this week's picket line, guys. That's awesome. <laughs> After last week, I think we had one game that was different of the 10 that we picked. You got that right, David, so fair play to you. David went 10-0 and last week. David catching fire late in the season on the picket line. But I only picked up one game on you guys. Yeah, that, that is right. But you know what? You still went 10-0, and man. you got to pick the games right in the first place. So uh, fair play to you on that so far. So um, quickly, before we round things out, let's go over the rest of our pick on the picket line, the five other games that were up for consideration this week in the first round of the playoffs. Allen versus Plano West in Class 6A Division One action. We all foresee the Eagles getting off to a hot start. The state's number four ranked team. We all picked Allen to beat Plano West. Let's see. And then in Class 5A Division Two, a matchup between two stout districts. Frisco draws Royce City. Uh, Frisco playing its first game in a couple weeks. So curious to see if there's any sort of hiccup there in their efficiency out of the gates. Not enough to deter any of us, though, from picking them uh, for, um, for picking them to win this one. We all foresee the Frisco Raccoons advancing in a matchup against against Royce City. We actually dipped outside, so I'll do this every now and then for the picket line. We'll just start getting deep in the playoffs. Um, you know, we'll uh, kind of look if there's, you know, maybe uh, not the most compelling, you know, options elsewhere. We'll kind of dip outside of our coverage area and pick some of these smaller schools and give you guys a little bit of test as far as getting acquainted with some schools that we don't really get a whole chance to, to talk about. So I put Gunner versus Canadian on the picket line this week in a matchup in the 3A Division Two bracket, a state semifinal. I believe they're number one and number two in the state. 
We all see Canadian getting the win in that one. Let's see. Then we also have over in Class 5A Division One a bi-district matchup between McKinney North and Magnolia. We all like Magnolia to get the, uh, the win there over the Bulldogs. And then let's see. We close out then with another matchup that is off the beaten path, a 2A Division One semifinal between Shiner and Timpson. A little bit of dissension in this one. Devin, you and I going with Shiner. David going with Timpson. You Timpson homer, you. <laughs> so then let's Been on see. Been bandwagon a long time. Can't <laughs> tip off now. <laughs> so that is, um, yeah, that's a look at where we are at with our picks um, for some of the other marquee games in our coverage area, and two that aren't in our coverage area. For the, um, for, I guess, yeah, this, uh, this first week of the playoffs in 5A and 6A. As far as our schedules go, Devin, what are you looking at for the rest of the week? Good question. <laughs> Assuming I can jump through all the necessary hoops, um, I'm going to be out uh, in Dallas for uh, Frisco Independence and Woodrow Wilson tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I'll be in Mesquite uh, as Poteet takes on Everman on Saturday, and then potentially seeing how my own life is going on Saturday. Uh, I may try to make it out to Birdville for TAPS state semifinals. Ooh. Yes, as Dallas Christian continues their pursuit of state title number nine. Okay, how about you, David? What you got for the rest of the week? Um, I only got one game on my docket this week, and that's going to be Saturday afternoon but, uh, CH Collins Athletics Complex between Capel and Denton Geyer. For me, I will also have a one-game week. As far as football goes, I'll be out at Allen Eagle Stadium on Friday for a matchup between Allen and Plano West. Um, was you know looking to uh, maybe get a get a chance to swing by for that Prosper Marcus game on Saturday, but um, volleyball gets the nod, and I'll be out at the state sh- the uh, the state championship games in Garland to watch Lovejoy gun for its eighth state championship. Um, those games are at noon, the same time as Prosper and Marcus. So. We have uh, Justin Thomas, our old uh, Star Local Media <laughs> alumni, out there to cover Marcus and Prosper on Saturday. Um, so, yes, that is a look at um, what is in store for us this week. And, yeah, guys, that'll do it for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to break down all the fascinating happenings from the first round. So, until then, folks, you enjoy the rest of your week, and we will talk to you all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all. StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.